Hi, and welcome back to the How to Decorate podcast from Ballard Designs. We want to teach you how to decorate your home and unleash your inner decorator. So we'll be interviewing interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world, sharing the trials and triumphs of our own homes, and also answering your decorating questions. I'm Caroline. I run the Ballard Designs blog, How to Decorate. And I'm Taryn. I'm on the product design team at Ballard. And I'm Karen, and I head up branding at Ballard. And we are your hosts. Hi. Okay, we are going to do some trials and triumphs, aren't we, ladies? Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> Who wants to go first? Um, I'll go first just because I don't think mine are super exciting. Well, they kind of are and aren't. So Elliot has had his cast now for uh, a month. We get it off tomorrow. So I know I think I told y'all he broke his leg. Yep. It has already somehow been a month since I told y'all that somehow. And um, he gets it off tomorrow. So I'm like fingers crossed that the bone is healed because if it's not, I'm mentally not going to make it. But girl, um, when you were telling us about getting it, because I feel like that's the last time you and I talked. Yeah. I mean, you were about to lose your mind. You were just like, and I have a month. There's no way to get a diaper on him. Like, it is yeah. just a disaster. It, it's already over. I mean, the kid is walking, like trying to walk <laughs> on it. It is hilarious because it's bent and he's like trying to walk. And I'm like, dude, you're going to fall backwards. Um, so it's Aww. time. And then um, I guess my, our, so that's my triumph, my, no. Well, I don't know which one that was. That was my triumph. It was my triumph. <laughs> um, and my trial was that, as you know, this house is now dead to us, um, <laughs> but we still live here. So, you know, things continue to happen. Mm-hmm. And it is funny. We um, did get away for a little while and we came back and there were legitimately many trees in my gutter, like just many trees growing <laughs> because my gutters were just full of crap and needed to be cleaned out. And it was so funny because... I literally was like, David, we're growing a forest on our roof right now. And I know (laughs) we don't like this house or it's dead to us, but you got to get up there. So he got up there and scooped it all out. It was just funny that I like had to convince him to remove the (laughs) tree. I mean, there's going to be like chickmunks living in the tree soon, you know, like it was bad. They're big. Um, So we look more like not abandoned home. So that is good. That's a good goal. I bet your neighbors appreciate that. I was gonna say, I'm sure you know how you feel about your neighbor. That's probably how my neighbors feel about us. Ah, <laughs> you are the gem of your street, huh? Uh, I hope we're not. We don't have raccoons in my attic. We don't have anything in my I attic. I mean, maybe that's good. Uh, hot bars, Taryn. That's no, a hot bar. That was one of my trials that everyone remembers was my rat problem. So no, my base, my attic is locked in. All right. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> those are mine. Okay, someone else go. Caroline, you go. You've had a lot happening. Okay. Well, so I posted on Instagram, like in my stories, um, but we poured a patio in our uh-huh. yard, I guess, sort of. I don't know. It's hard to describe this um, spot, but we're really excited about it. We still have, you know, the only, the, okay, so this has been like, it took a lot to get here, but it also happened all of a sudden too. Um, you know, like we didn't really have a contractor and then the painter that we used to paint our house recommended his friend. And so we're like talking with the guy, he came over, gave us an estimate and he's like, Oh, I can start on Monday. I'm like, Oh, 
okay. <laughs> so, it, you know, it was one of those things where it just kind of like all of a sudden it was, we were moving Time. forward. But, um, but yeah, we're excited about it. I mean, I think with every construction project like that, it creates a whole other like domino effect of other mm-hmm. construction mm-hmm. projects. Sure. Like they dug up all this clay and they had to like put the clay somewhere. And um, so now we have like all these empty beds, but there's just clay in them. And so like anytime it rains, it makes a mess. And (laughs) so, you know, there's all this other stuff that we need to do. We have a long list of projects, just do some planting and put down pine straw and stuff because we did them and then immediately went out of town. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it looks really good. We're excited. We need to power wash. Um, did you get your front door painted that pinky color? Yes. Did I not tell you all about this last time? You told us we were gonna, but we hadn't heard about it. I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll post a photo. You need to walk outside right now and send us a photo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's not fully, I haven't taken a final after photo because I've been waiting for the freaking electrician to come and hang this light. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your front light dilemma. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, Man. Life's I mean, tough, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's the um I'm kidding. Uh, I don't even know how to, I don't even know. I, it's it's we schedule we basically long story short the electrician is going to have to come back for the third time in 3 weeks because they never actually finish everything that I gave them a list to finish, despite having given them a list beforehand. Every time they come they're like, "Oh, we're going to we don't have enough time or I have to come back to next week." Like I just, mm. get, just can you just get out of my hair? Just, just finish do what it I want. Do what I want. Like, we'll wrap it up. They're not listening, up, people. Anyways, no. But so, um, no. So it's good. It's just you know, like we're still in that limbo phase. But mm-hmm. um, I have my eye oh, on fun. some furniture, and we've started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we've started talking about planting plants and what, you know, what plants we're going to plant all around. Well, I'll tell you right in. now, if you're looking at outdoor furniture, I wouldn't wait too long because it's getting ready to get sold out. I'm just saying this is the season right around 4th of July. Everybody starts going on clearance and clearing out their inventory for the year. So yeah, I'm, I'm just telling everybody out there. Um, Buy it. <laughs> it'll, cause it might be gone if you wait. Yeah. Yeah. FYI. Good lesson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, anyways, so that's that's my trials and triumphs. We're very excited about it because it does look good. It came out how we wanted, but of course now we have a whole other list of things we have to do because, mm-hmm. you know, that's how it is. That's how it is. Slippery slope, mm-hmm. lady, and you're sliding yeah. down it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Okay. So I did something. <laughs> I did something. I love yours. I love yours just because they are always so like, what? Why are you, why are you doing that? I have yeah. two things. One is something I did, and then one is something I want to discuss with the team. Okay. So remember our terrarium that we did? We each did a terrarium yes. together. So I decided I wanted to dismantle it and repurpose my plants because I wanted to buy this thing we sell. And I don't know the name of it, so I'm going to show it to you guys in the picture, and you guys tell me the name of it. Hold on. It's like a jar with a base and then you put your plants inside and then it has a top and then on the top you put candles. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I don't know what to call that either. But, but we sell it. It has a name. Yeah. The item. I'll try ah. to figure it out while we're here. Anyway, so it's sort of a large jar with a top and you put your plants inside and it makes a little 
like a real terrarium. Ours didn't have a lid, but this apparently, you know, you're not supposed to have to water it and stuff. I don't know. So anyway, I took my faux terrarium apart and made two of these guys. Um, and well, little did I know, uh, you need teeny plants, like super tiny plants. My ferns mm -hmm. were all too big. I had to chop them all down, but I did it. I mean, they're good. And I love moss, you know, so I stuck a bunch of moss in there. So that was good. That was a triumph. I feel good about it. I'll send you a picture. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's my other thing. I know I feel like I've talked to you guys about how I made a mistake in my basement and I put in too many can lights. Have I told you this? No. Mm -mm. I did. No. I, over, I over canned. Like, Wait. <laughs> I didn't you... think it out well okay. enough. Yeah, explain the whole thing, because actually we were discussing can lights in our plans, our mm. house plans. Mm. So I need to know how you over canned. OK, so um, I have, you know, a lot of the designers that we have on really bad mouth can lights, right? They don't like them. They're they're harsh lighting. They're not attractive. And I um, I generally tend to agree, but I have some in my house that really are well positioned they really kind of act as a little spotlight or a light that um is very functional for the kitchen or whatever like i have a a couple really pretty ones that shine down on my dining table just on the table part so you can see to eat but it doesn't mm -hmm. light up the room that kind of thing and i guess when i was doing the basement because these were in my house i i had nothing to do with these on the upstairs level some smarter person made the decision <laughs> So, uh, so when I did the basement, I was so concerned about it being dark because it's a basement that I just wanted to make sure there was a lot of lighting all on dimmers, of course. So everything's <laughs> painted dark, <laughs> peacock blue. And so even when the lights are off, when the lights are on, it's not so bad because they just look like light. But when they're off, it's as if the ceiling is polka dotted with white polka dots. I cannot stand it, ladies. It's awful. And I don't need the light. Most of the light I don't need. I need a few of the lights. But in my hallway, I have sconces, and I don't need more lights in there. But I have lights mm -hmm. all the way down the hall. In the kitchen, I need them. But out in the loungy area, I don't need it. There's plenty of light. So, oh, oh, so I have an idea. This is, I'm getting to my point. <laughs> um, my idea is this, and you'll tell me if you think this is insane, because I think it might be slightly brilliant. Okay. <laughs> I was because, you know, my, my husband's like, well, we just take them out. I'm like, then we're going to have to patch it and try to make it so you can't tell there's a circle chopped out of the ceiling. No. Uh, and a glossy. No, that's never going to happen. So here's my hairbrain idea. Buy some like three inch little wooden medallions and paint them glossy blue and make it look like I have a little architectural medallion thing on my ceiling. What do you think? Cover it up. Glue it right over the lights. Are you taking the light bulbs out first? They're LED now, and they're not going to... Mm -mm. What my worry would be is that somebody would turn them on behind But there's no the heat. Glued. Yeah, but even if they're... I don't know. I'm in a, like a... You can't tell they're on, and then like your lights stay on because you don't know. Mm -hmm. They are LED, so you're not using as much power, but... I could but disconnect I guess... the switch. You know, just pull the little wire out. I mean... Does it sound hairbrain? Does it sound like it's going to be really ugly? I it think it sounds, might be cool. It sounds <laughs> ugly, but I don't know what the medallions look like. So it seems with, like they're going to feel random. Like this is well, they're in a grid, though. Bigger. Like, they're bigger. All the lights are in a grid, right? so it would just look like a 
a grid. Mm -hmm. I'm in. I'm in. I think it's kind of like, I like it. Caroline is so knotted. Remember, she didn't, yeah, she wasn't in when I did my butterflies either. That is true. She hated your butterflies. I didn't hate them. I, once you saw the photo, I was much more on board. Okay. (laughs) No, once I saw the photo, I thought we were fighting. (laughs) <laughs> because of you hated them so much. That's true. We had someone write That's in. Not Y'all true. Aren't getting along. <laughs> That's not true. I'm giving you a hard time. Karen, I think it sounds kind of crazy, but I also could totally see you pulling it off as long as it's like the right di- like the right medallion and the and have a cool pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so too. Well, what's the worst thing that happens? I kind of stick it up there with some sticky tack. I look at it. If it's gross, I pull it down. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Worth it. Right. All right. I'm going to give it a whirl, ladies. We'll see. I want to see the medallions you pick out. Please. Yeah, I feel like we need more information. Yeah. Well, I was just looking on Lowe's and Home Depot. They have wood, um, all kinds of, you can get sort of elaborate ones or you can get just circular ones that, Mm -hmm. you know. Okay. I don't know. I love it. I love it. So that's what, hmm, now I've got to rethink my can lights. Yeah. Think about them as either a very specific task or ac- like an accent, like it's going to sh- shine on a piece of art or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have a corner of my dining room where I have one and I stuck a sculpture there just recently. Um, and it's perfect because it lights up this sort of dead corner. So if you had a tree or a sculpture or something like that, it's perfect. But just to, you don't want it just to light up your dining room because you never would want that light in a dining room. You want it to be more... But it seems also like part of the issue is just that your wall or your ceiling's dark. Like if yes, if if it was white, I would not be as irritated. True, true. Mm -hmm. Now in my upstairs bedroom, we have some cans in there because there really is. If you want to see in there at night, you kind of have to turn them on. But generally, we don't need to see much. Our bedside lamps are enough. But if you need to see for some reason, you would have to turn that on. But I painted the, you know, you can the little rim. I, it's, I have a dark gray ceiling in my bedroom, and I painted the rim of the light dark gray. So at least it's minimized in there. It's just uh-huh. the part where the light comes through that is white. But I why still wouldn't you do that. that with the blue one? With the blue, oh, I, 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 I will. That'll be trial one. I'll try okay. that and okay. see how awful it still is. And then if it's still not good, I'm going to try my down. Whatever happened with your light switches? They're still white. <gasps> I had someone on our Instagram TV totally call me out and be like, oh, that looks stupid. Paint your dumb switches. And I was like, <laughs> Guys, I mean, I, I literally like, had to I, laugh. I'm like, I know it looks stupid. I mean, <laughs> I know. Well, I, I'm, I feel really bad because every now and then when I lean over when we're recording, I definitely have one straight behind me that's white. Oh, yeah, look at that, Taryn. How embarrassing. And it's right behind me. And every time I'm sure the designer's like, ugh, what is this garbage person I'm talking to? <laughs> I have a question, you guys. When you're on Zooms and stuff during COVID, are you totally examining everyone's rooms behind them? Yes, absolutely. Me too. I can't stop. I was just on one this morning and there was this guy I did not know. I mean, everybody on the call, I did not know, but the guy, he had this painting or a photo or something behind him. And it looked like it was a painting of like a dead body laying. (gasps) What is that? Turned out it was like a child portrait, some big head. But I mean, it's that kind of thing where you're just, I'm just examining every corner. Oh, for sure. My coworker, um, 
Andrew, who I love. He has these two llama prints that he put up on the wall. We've all enjoyed it. He took them down at one point and we all <clears throat> yelled at him because we were like, where's the llamas? And he was like, I'm sorry, I got bored of them. And then he put them back up. So everybody, I mean, I think everybody's checking out. Everyone's invested. Yeah. yeah. We're in, so that's why maybe, maybe instead of working today, I'm going to take that light switch down and paint it. Paint it up, lady. Well, did I tell, did I tell <laughs> when, um, when we had the electrician here, the first, I always have sagas with electricians, mm-hmm. but um, when we were, the first time they came to our new house and we were doing our dark blue bedroom, the electrician did tell me, he's like, you know, if you want me to order um, switches and new outlets, I can order them in all sorts of colors mm-hmm. and um, come switch them out for you. Like mm-hmm. if you're annoyed by the white. So yes, that is a lot of the ones I have in the basement are four switches. Again, I don't know why. Um, oh, I'll think about that too, Taryn. And here's here. so they don't; those don't come available as uh, all the colors. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're harder to find. Mm-hmm. Two um, two switches easier. Got it. But think about I when don't you think so they're individual. But the plate. Yeah, but you just plate the paint the plate. It's oh, the yeah, actual the, plate. That's the actual true. switch itself. Mm-hmm. You can order ah, custom switches, so the actual switch and itself and is stuff. blue, mm-hmm. any color. I didn't see the blue. I saw like black and khaki and gray. I'll look again. I'm in. I don't know. He said it was like a something he could order. Cool. Mm. Good tips, guys. I'm writing yeah. all this down. But think of this, Taryn. When you walk into a space, um, when you flip the switch. Don't just think about, all right, I want this light to come on. But do you, like, for instance, when I'm going into my basement, there's a light at the top of my stairs and then the hallway below. That should really just be on one dumb switch because I'm going down and I'm going to need to see instead of doing the one at the top and then walking to the bottom and doing the one in the hallway. You know what I mean? Uh So, Uh and then like my lounge area should all just sort of be one instead of, I've got it broken up and it just doesn't have to be that way. It's Mm -hmm. what I needed a lighting designer. Clearly (laughs) I did not know what I was doing. No, I don't we know need to, I maybe we need to find someone that is, uh, is an actual lighting designer to give us some. Ooh, I mm-hmm. like that. You well, know, we had things, someone just recently write in about, you know, t- g- doing a series that t- walks you totally through a renovation process, you know, and it was inspired by you, Taryn. So, you know, an architect, a designer, uh, you know, who's, uh, mm-hmm. how do you know where to pick your fixtures? How do you know about your lighting plan? How do you know all that stuff? And it is, it's very overwhelming. And so that's mm-hmm. um, something we've been discussing, trying to kind of get a, a handle on how to do something like that to help people who are either renovating or building. Yeah. It's hard. I will say that um, the episode that we did with um, Andrew Kogar and um, Kristen Kong, Mm-hmm. Go listen to that episode because we did talk a lot about um, like the just the process start to finish of renovating, probably not as in-depth as what you're talking about, Karen, but I thought that was a great episode. Yeah. So anywho, but it's way, way back there. So you got to go dig. All right. Good reference though. Okay. All right. All right. Well, let's get to our show. Let's do it. So our guest this evening is Marika Meyer. She is a designer in Washington, D.C., but also does projects all over the country. And your work has been featured in Traditional Home, House Beautiful, Lux Magazine, The Washington Post, Southern Living, many more. And you also have a fabric line, fabric and rug line. 
um, called Marika Meyer Textiles. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We're so excited. I'm such a fan of your textile line, so I have many questions around that. <laughs> you are really, really kind. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to have this conversation. Well, tell us how you got into design. Oh, my goodness. Um, I've been doing this for... Um, I've been working in the industry close to 20 years, um, which ages me a bit. Um, and mm-hmm. I've been, I've had my own firm for the last 13 years. Um, and I've had my textile line. We founded it in 2016. I started creating in 2015. So it feels a lot longer than that. Um, I was one of those talking about kids. I was always one of those kids who was enrolled in art classes, photography classes, um, you name it. Just being in the studio environment always made me happy. And um, when I was trying to figure out, um, you know, my mom bought me What Colors Your Parachute book. I remember that in high school and freaking out because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, But I really wanted to do something that uh, was creative. I also had a stint working in the business world um, for uh, for a number of years, and I loved that. I loved the um, the analytics of that. I love databases. I love Excel spreadsheets. Um, so I thought that design would be a great a great way to merge some of those skills, the type A control freak <laughs> data <laughs> analytics side paired with the creative side. And then um, fundamentally, I'm just a people pleaser. I love to, <laughs> I love to problem solve. I love to work with clients. Um, I love to help them create beautiful homes. Also, I think as designers, we uh, we often serve as therapists. We serve as referral system. Um, you know, I get clients. Do you know a good doctor? Do you know a good um, <laughs> a good nanny? Do you know the right pediatrician? And so, I just love that. I love having those conversations um, and really being able to engage with our clients. So that's that's it. That's in it. <laughs> Well, real early on, one of our um, guests told us, and it had never occurred to me that uh, being a designer is very, very personal business. You know, you're in someone's home for hours at a time. You're in their closet. You're in all their personal stuff, yep. you know, and you are up in their stuff. Um, oh, yeah. and, and I hadn't really ever thought of it that way before. But if you're not uh, into people, it would be a very, very bad occupation. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there. I laugh when I uh, when new clients, uh, prospective clients, call us, and I say the number one thing is that it has to be whoever you end up working with. It really needs to be a comfortable relationship because I will stand in your bedroom. I will ask you how many times in the middle of the night you have to use the bathroom. I'll ask you how many pairs of underwear and socks and bras do you keep in your dresser. We're going <laughs> to really get to know each other, and I'm happy to share all of that in turn. Right? This, you know, if I ask you a silly <laughs> question, you can ask me that same silly question, and it's a trust tree, right? I'm happy to <laughs> I'm happy to to share that with you. But it is it's a it's a important interpersonal relationship. And it's one that we pride ourselves on having for years. So I was in 2017, it was our 10th anniversary. And I just was doing a lot of reflection and looking back. And I looked at our client roster. And seven out of the original, I think, nine clients I was working with in 07, I was still working with in 2017. And I think that that speaks to that, um, the relationship that we build and we cultivate. Um, mm-hmm. and how, how wonderful it is. I actually, one of those clients, um, 
sent me the most beautiful bouquet of flowers uh, last Friday. And just with a note, we haven't been, we haven't worked with her in about 18 months. And she just sent a note saying, thank you so much for making my home such a beautiful space. It's been the best retreat we could ask for the last two months. Wow. And I was like, oh, that's oh really my sweet. gosh, that's so sweet. Wow. Um, it so much to me to know. Um, it really drives home the power of design and how important our homes are, um, especially now. So, yeah. Speaking of that in your own home, all right, no, should I let somebody else talk? Because I'm like, no, you go. I mean, I have questions. We'll get to them. Well, in your own home over the past, you know, six, eight weeks, how has it served you? Has it been, were you pleasantly surprised? Were there things you needed to rearrange and change? So, um, a little bit of both, right? Like I've been pleasantly surprised how well our space functions, um, given that we're in an older home. Our house was built in 1849, so it's a small-scale house. There are four of us working and learning from here, so it's a little bit intense. Um, but the it's divvied up pretty well, um, and everything in our house is hyper-functional. I mean, hyper-functional. Most of, I'd say a good majority of our projects are for families with children under the age of 12. And so durability is really key. Usability is key. I always have said this, that I never want to have one of the boys come home from a great soccer game or a great art class and be really messy and to come running at me so excited about what they've accomplished. And for the first things out of my mouth is to say like, don't sit on the cushion. Right. I want to live our life. I want our house to be the backdrop of so many great family stories. And so everything that I put in here, I put in with a mentality of if they get catch up on it, if a, if a good friend comes over and spills red wine, I don't want to worry about it. Nothing is so precious that it can't be fixed or just cleaned um, with mm-hmm. a little sponge. So I've been really happy with the way that our house has served um, that. And then I've also realized that all the areas that need improvement. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I'm sad here. I'm like, oh, those drapes really are a little bit tired or, ooh, the seam on that chair is really, you know, it's seen better days or, oh, mm-hmm. you know what? Like these chairs are not as comfortable as I thought they were. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, seeing all of it um, and it's been, right. It's been a test for all of us. Again, we're in a small space with first grade now in the kitchen, fourth grade is in the playroom. Um, my husband is working in my old office space that we converted in the basement and the dining room is now Marie Meyer Interiors and Marie Meyer Textiles. So <laughs> I, I love it. a lot of yes. right now. <laughs> wow. I mean, uh, well, so many questions about young families and also, but also I am surprised like pleasantly surprised to hear that all of most of your clients are young families because your portfolio is so pretty. Mm. It's very polished. I just want to kind of describe it a little bit to people that aren't familiar with your work, but it's very polished, very edited, um, a lot of high low, but also lots of beautiful patterns. You use a lot of wallpaper. Um, Anyway, but but especially the tailored and polished part, I think, maybe you don't necessarily associate with having kids, um, you know, in a space that feels very clean. Yep. But you really, and how do you manage that? How do you accomplish those two things at the same Um, time? So years ago, um, a former client of mine, after the project, we sat down and we had a lot of conversations and we were talking about, um, 
just about the experience. And she came up with this this line that she said to me and she said, you really embody practical luxury and functional beauty. And I think that that summarizes it because you, just because you have small children or really messy adult friends, which sometimes are worse than little people um, (laughs) or messy spouse, um, it doesn't mean that you have to sacrifice design. And I think we're all so lucky that we live in a time right now where we have access to great design that is durable. Um, as well as beautiful. Um, And so I think that it's just evaluating what the pieces are that we're choosing, how that meets the functional needs, um, but also thinking strategically. Like a lot of our clients recently over the last couple of years, we were using a lot of indoor outdoor um, upholstery for kitchens and then clients wanted to take it to the next level because you can sponge off indoor outdoor, but with babies, right, it's a different story. And so we started laminating a lot of really fun prints and they love it because they can put it in the sink, right? They can do anything they want to it, um, but it doesn't slow them down from using those prints. And so I think at the end of the day, it's meeting clients where they are and letting them know that they don't have to sacrifice style just because they have a young family or really messy friends. Um, And I think that that's really empowering for people. And then they take the plunge and they feel really liberated. They don't have to sacrifice. Um, So it's been a lot of fun. And I, it's, I think uh, just the fact that I live this every single day, I had a, a client who was so funny. I had worked with her before I had children and then I had my first son and she came over. She brought me a little um, gift for him. And she said, I'm so glad that you had a boy. And I said, why? And she's like, you're not going to say silly things like tell him not to, you know, run around and bounce <laughs> off. The Stop him. Yeah. Exactly. And I was like, oh, you know, and the, the, Grayson was all of like two months old and I just looked at her like, oh dear, <laughs> like, what's that? What's in store for me? But it is. I live. I live the dream every day. Um, I'm sponging something or cleaning something, and that that's great. You know, it's fine. It's life. I know. Yeah. I mean, my for my seven year old is he's a mess. I mean, I have actually. I'm looking up because I'm sitting in the kitchen. I've actually had to clean spaghetti sauce off my ceilings because of him when he was a baby. I mean that like, and that's just, that's my, I mean, that's literally my life, like spaghetti sauce off the ceiling. I don't, right. <laughs> like, is the ceiling I, good I, now? Have you painted the ceiling a color or um, is it? I did. I actually added a V groove and painted it. Um, and so now it's much more wipeable. I wish I'd actually had V groove before when he got the spaghetti sauce. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there I anything specific it. that you've changed? Maybe things that you did a lot before kids that you now have sort of changed your ways design wise or yeah. lifestyle wise yeah. mm. no design wise oh right i don't I mean, I'm like your lifestyle has changed a ton but i mean for your clients yeah so now you know a lot of the times when we start a project with with children i just have a, a, the list of kind of kid questions i put on my mom hat and it is how do you live in spaces um even you know some so like my husband and i because we're in a small house, we really live in our living room and our family room equally. And so everything in the living room, nothing can be precious. It has to be super durable too. So I talk to clients, how do you live in spaces? How do you, um, how do you function as a family? And then I, a lot of times, for example, on like kitchen tables or even dining room tables, we'll have a conversation around, um, you know, like, do we want to use something that has distressing, uh, that's just, 
distressed or has mm-hmm. been hand planed. Um, and that way you're not going to stress out when they take a fork to it. Um, I ask them based on like cocktail tables, you know, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a big one for, um, for families with young children. Like, do we need to be looking at round? Do we need to think about Ottomans? Um, just think all of the basics lamps. Like, are we, if we're in a house with a lot of young children, do we need to think about our overhead lighting? If we know that mm. we're going to be having young kids in the house until for the next 10 years and side table lamps aren't really an option. So let's think about doing some drop lighting or sconces or something that can't fall over. Mm. Um, so it's really evaluating again, where they are, how old their kids are, um, what's going on with that. So it's thinking through a lot of the, that safety stuff. And then it's funny mm-hmm. as my boys have gone older and I've seen how rough they are <laughs> with furniture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's thinking about, um, you know, like, well, maybe we shouldn't do that tri-legged little beautiful martini table. Maybe we should do a garden stool instead. Um, <laughs> right. And so, yeah. it, right, it is. It's, I mean, almost living through all the things that have happened in my house as uh, as, exa- as examples of what to warn clients might happen at theirs. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I have a question. Uh, speaking to that, you know, we, we talk a lot about durable fabrics, but how do you keep a room looking elevated that you are using all the time, like a dinner or living room? Like, for instance, for your home, how are you keeping it? So what what are you what can you put in to help keep it that level of gorgeous, even though I know it needs to take a beating? Yep. So I think that having some really great um, basics as the backdrop, it's almost like the little black dress of sofas or chairs. Um, so you can come in with some really great basics that can then be dressed and styled however you want to do that. So um, a lot of times we'll use neutral sofas, just simple, either um, kind of a track arm with a splayed leg or an English roll arm, just a more or less simple sofa. And then from there, you can start layering it in. So we start dressing that sofa. So we think about our pillows. We think about the texture on the pillows. How do we get some beautiful trims on those? Um, The throw that we know will sit on the back of the sofa. So that starts, now all of a sudden we have three points of color. Do we want to add a really great tape trim? or something to the base of that simple sofa. That's something that can be traded out. And now we have our side tables. And let's say that the side tables can either be a statement if we were pairing it with a cocktail table or the side tables. We want to do that balance. We want to think about the materials we're using. We don't want to be duplicative. Um, And then, so we start thinking about that. Maybe our cocktail table is the statement. The side tables are a little bit more simple. And then we blow it out with fabulous lamps partnered with really beautiful texture um, for our drape. So it's thinking about that. I think the other piece of it is really making sure that everything has room to breathe. You know, um, like sometimes we'll sit down with clients and we'll bring a lot of fabrics and they'll fall in love with everything. I say, we don't want to put so much into a room that you don't see anything, Mm -hmm. right? Because the one thing Mm -hmm. that when you're doing a design scheme or you're shopping for your own home, I always say this, the the thing that you're not accounting for is the voice, like the the voice and the energy that we bring to that space. Um, Because when we're entertaining, we're loud. There's a lot of action in there. And we want to make sure that the space can also accommodate us in it as well, that it's not so over the top that it Mm. feel uncomfortable with when you're in it. Um, it's funny, I, as I know it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but I, as a designer, I prefer spaces that feel collected and then curated um, and edited over time rather than overly designed. And so I think that at the end of the day, I think it's that curation that really elevates the space. But it is through careful analysis of thinking, 
you know, what's my point of balance here? What are the special moments? Um, but uh, you know, fabric for me, I'm just, I'm a fabric gal. I love fabric. So for me, the window treatments, those pillows, um, the special stools, but I think there's nothing wrong with keeping your chair and your sofa really clean and simple. And it also, it buys you a lot of years, right? You can, if, if you want to follow a trend or if you change your mind, you know, you used to be blue, a blue gal and now you're, a, you know, a green gal, you can change your mind without suffering any major real kind of financial loss. You're not kicking yourself for doing um, something that bold. So that's, you'll see in our portfolio, a lot of very more quiet backdrop pieces that then we um, have a lot of fun with. So is that how you got into fabric is just your, your, you were drawn to it? Um, yes. So I, um, I mean, I, I I always start with fabric when I start a project, that's how I start working out the design in my mind is pulling fabrics. Um, and so the desire to start our line of textiles was, um, we know a couple different reasons. One, I love, I love textiles and really passionate about it Two, I've, at the time there was, um, in the market, I was really having a hard time finding great small to medium scale prints that I could then work into schemes. It was easy to find the inspiration large scale. You know, that was no problem. But finding those great small scales was really difficult. And finding small scales that you could customize without high minimums and big markups was really, really tough. It was pretty much non-existent. Mm-hmm. And so as a designer, you know, standing in the in the room with the client and knowing how they, you know, if you say the word custom and there's a huge upcharge and there's a 10-year minimum, their eyes glaze over in fear. Sure. I wanted to be able to create something that I could use as a tool, but also be a tool for other designers. So for our textiles, we have um, no upcharge for custom. We have no minimums for custom. We've really tried to make it a tool um, for designers that they can use and feel really comfortable approaching a client about doing something that's custom. Um, And I also just love, as I have a fine arts degree, um, I went back and I got a second degree in studio painting. And so for me, it also, the personal side was that I really missed, um, again, putting pencil to paper and that feel of being in the studio. And so um, that was the other piece of it. I just really wanted to get, do something that felt like studio based. And um, like this weekend, I started painting our our fourth, fifth collection um, based on some uh, seashells that my boys and I collected a few weeks ago um, with it had just gorgeous caramel colors and like that burnt umber. And so I got out the paints last weekend and um, my seven-year-old and I started painting um, seashell paintings. It's really fun course, that you did it together. Paintings. Yeah. Right. And it's fun to do something with them and to kind of involve them and show them like, Hey, this is what my mommy does. I think is really neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Karen so, is one of our product designers, so she paints a lot of things for us. Yeah. And Ballard, <laughs> pen to paper, I think it makes a difference, right? It does, right? It, it's like if you are a creative individual, I think you just can't escape that. It's like a compulsion, like you have to create. Um, and so for me, it's really, it's really therapeutic. Um, and again, I it's how I just think things through. So, mm-hmm. can you walk us through? the process of creating a fabric from start to finish. Like, and I love maybe expand on, um, 
you know, painting, because I even am curious about the process of taking something that you've painted and turning it into an actual pattern that pattern. We that seems easy. very complicated mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I love, again, being, having a fine arts degree in painting, like I do love watercolor as a way to, to feel out pattern, um, pencil, sometimes I'll do outlines, but then the brush for me is a really great way to explore pattern, shape and form. Um, and usually I try and do it in some kind of neutral. So that way, like the, you know, color's not influencing the pattern too much. Um, Mm. and so I usually start there and, and, um, play around with that. So based on some of these shells that I collected, I started noticing the amazing, um, like geometry to them. And I thought, what an, you know, what an interesting pattern there is here. Like there's actual geometry to these shells and maybe there's something there. So for example, that was like a jumping off point for what I was doing last weekend. Um, and who knows what it'll turn into. (laughs) My my team, my, the women on my staff might look at it and say, you're crazy. You know, there's nothing (laughs) shell. You've lost it. Um, but so that's how I usually start out. And then I am, um, really, uh, old school slash a terrible techno person. So I honestly usually then take trace paper and actually trace over it and then fold the paper and open it up and then cut it out and with like, uh, tape, tape it together and create my first repeat, um, and then photocopy it. And it's like okay. I've been living in the 1980s um, doing this. And so <laughs> I get to the point where I, where I start to understand it and feel comfortable with it. And then on our um, textile team, we have a graphic artist. And so at some point I hand it over to her and she then takes it, she scans it into the computer. And then from there, she can take it and turn it into a vector format so that we have the repeat worked out for the mm-hmm. width. Um, we can figure out a drop if we want to do a half drop or anything along those lines. And then the real fun thing is that she can then put in color. So then we can start playing out with color. We have a color corrected printer. So we can just do tons of runs of different colors and see, do we want to add an outline to it? Do we want it to be one color, two color? Um, and that printer has been like liberating for us because we can just run so many different, we can take a, a one color pattern and look at it in five different colorways if we want to. So that's really exciting. Um, And then it's sending it off to our printer and seeing um, how it comes back. So usually we're specifying colors based on Pantone colors um, to get started. But we can also spec to bend more or even cuttings if we want to. Okay. So So, um, how do you sort of – how do you pick your color palette for your your collection? Yep. So we have – I think that if you look at our textiles, the first collection, um, we kind of founded some of our – the colors that we're now known for, which is our navy, um, a really great green, a very pale green, um, a beautiful like French blue that you'll see a lot – that you'll see kind of run throughout the collections. Um, But Mm -hmm. then when we got to – let's see, I think um, the – Second collection, we stayed true to some of our bold colors. And then in the third collection, we thought, okay, let's open this up a little bit and just have more colors that are standard to the collection, knowing that a lot of designers do do custom. But we introduced mm-hmm. a beautiful steel, a beautiful charcoal, an ochre, um, a tomato red, and just started having some fun with those colors and got really great feedback on that. 
Um, and then this last collection, our Tree of Life collection that we just launched, um, actually, we it's funny, it's a five color way. Um, so it's the most colors of any of our standard patterns. And we printed out, we had it down to about three different um, final colorways. And I was home over one weekend and I don't know what I, it's funny, I don't know what it was, but I just thought, let's try and just go bright and preppy on one and just see what happens. And usually it takes a lot of auto correcting. And I said, let's just throw these colors in, send it to the printer and just keep our fingers crossed, see what comes back. And it came back and we loved it. It's like Kelly green and French blue and Navy blue and hot pink. And it's so fun. It makes me so happy. Um, and then we married that with one that is in all that using all of our neutrals. So our soft sage, our soft blue, our soft beige, um, a little taupe. And so we kind of have that great high contrast. Um, but then we have, we have photographed it in some of the other colors, which were really bright um, yellows and reds and aubergines, just as an example to show our designers, hey, this is what you can do with Tree of Life. You can turn it into mm-hmm. anything you want to. Um, and that's really what we try to what we try to tell the designers that we're working with. Like, this is what we've done with it, but we can't wait to see what you can do with it. Um, and I think that that's just in terms of individualism in, ter- in design in general. Um, you know, now that we live in the age of Pinterest and Instagram, it's a great tool, right? We're always seeing beautiful things and we love that, but it's really hard to set yourself apart and to have something that's just, that's yours and that's one of a kind and it's not, oh, I've seen that on Pinterest or my girlfriend has that. So I think part of the value proposition of being an interior designer is figuring out how can you provide one of a kind design to um, end users, again, mm-hmm. without them having to incur this ridiculous cost. So that's what we're hoping, you know, to, to, to be for a number of designers as well. So, okay. If I'm a normal person, well, okay. Not if, because I am a normal person. (laughs) That was weird. Um, if I am not a designer and just a normal person, can I order fabric from you? Can I do a custom color? Yes. So we have, we're represented through showrooms throughout the country, some of which are also sell to the, um, to end users. So Mm -hmm. Fritz Porter in Charleston, Grand Tour in Palm Beach. Um, But we can also, our interiors firm can accept um, orders and we are happy to work with anybody we have. We can offer digital renderings, custom strike-offs. So custom doesn't need to be scary. It's, you know, it is because it's, there's, it's an endless, Right. <laughs> but, right. It's sort of almost mind blowing when, when you get to custom, because I think that's why we leave it to the pros is because they have a vision and they know what they want. Whereas I would sit here for 48 hours and be like, oh, should it be brown, tan, wait, navy? I don't know. You know, right. uh, that, it can it can be um, a rabbit hole. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if you're if you're just kind of doing it solo, you can you can really get um spend a lot of time on it. Yeah. <laughs> I um, wanted to note, and it might just be because I have Roman shades on the brain because I know I need them in the room I'm sitting in right now, but <laughs> you girl, you love a Roman shade. They oh, yeah. are all over your projects and I love them. They I look them. so good. I have, I have a question about it because as you said, that <laughs> one of my main notes was, and the DC show house you did back in 2017, correct you had beautiful panels and then you had a roman shade 
but you had a detail and of course in the image I couldn't see what the detail yeah. was on the bottom of the brown shade but it like paired back to the panels in yeah. the, the same room same room too in the same room yeah, yeah. so okay. I'll tell you um that show house, so the dirty little secret about those windows, they were huge. The ceilings in that room were 12 feet tall. The room was 25 by 25. It was huge. And there were four gigantic Palladian windows that were built in the early 90s, and they were hideous. Mm. And so I thought, you know, there's no, like, I've got to cover these windows, but because it was a design house that you were only, you could only do so much. Um, and I also love to layer things. So I thought, well, more is more in this case. Let's have some fun with it. So we did, um, we did one of our patterns. We used Charlotte from our collection and we did that as the drapes. And then we used our same ground. I'm laughing because the, my I have Roman shades right above my head as we're on this call. Uh, <laughs> and we used our same ground. So we matched the ground to the drapes. And then what is so funny, that room is so large that you have no idea that the trim is actually, uh, I think it's a three and a half or four inch uh, tassel trim that is hanging down from the from that Roman shade, okay. but the the windows again with twelve foot tall ceilings, the scale of it is just completely obscured, and so that picked up since the Roman shade it was just a white ground. We did the blue tassel along the bottom. It helped pull your eye back down in that room. You know, mm -hmm. when you have 12-foot ceilings, it's a rare occasion where you're trying to make the ceilings feel shorter rather than taller. And so it pulled the eye back down, and then it picked up the blue in the drape. Um, I love – I think Roman's shades are just great problem solvers. They are – they're a lot of fun. They're easy for clients who are on a budget. It's a great way to get a window treatment in and dress a window without blowing the bank. Mm -hmm. um, they also, they can be really great uh, hiders of terrible, <laughs> you know, mistakes. Short windows, a Roman shade will mask it. Um, too high of window, Roman shade will mask it. Palladian window, Roman shade will mask it. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's a great conduit for pattern. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And especially when, um, when you can layer it. So it is really fun when we can layer it with a drape as well. I was on a client call today talking about doing that um, in a bedroom. But also it's great for function. For example, um, a lot of times we'll do an outside mount Roman and then behind that just do a simple roller shade in bedrooms. So that way you're not dressing the Roman shade every day. And for kids' rooms, for nurseries, it's a great way to get something that's really beautiful, but you just have a simple function. You can pull a roller that's hidden behind the Roman shade. So again, I think they're great problem solvers, which is really the name of the game in design. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I recently moved my office to the sunroom in my house and um, because we're all at home now working and I am staring at these windows like a crazy person trying to figure out, okay, I do need to get roller shades inside <laughs> of there and then a Roman on top. Is it deep enough? You know, like all uh, I, I, half the day I s sit here thinking <laughs> 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 about the semantics of the Roman shades in this room. So that is, well, if you have enough depth and your, um, in the inside of the casing, then you can easily do a roller shade and there outside of Roman. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I think that might be why I noticed them in your project. Except though, I mean, they just do look fabulous. And like you said, great problem solvers, but I mean, so stylish and fashionable. In so many of the rooms, you've got that and a drapery. First, I yeah. started obsessing about your drapery. And then I was like, hey, look, there's so many Roman shades as well. And then they're all mixed up too. And it really, 
when Caroline was describing rooms and saying um, edited and uh, buttoned up is what I was thinking. They all just look so buttoned up, but not stuffy, you know, just just perfectly edited and just right and enough softness and enough pattern, but not too much. Um, so that I, I was really drawn to all the window treatments of it because I felt like those were great examples in the rooms of the softness and, and the pattern that you were bringing to the spaces, which I loved. Well, it's funny when you talk about softening, I think any of my clients would laugh hearing you say that because it's like what I preach all the time. Um, everything like we do a lot of construction. So we do tons and tons of construction. And with that, we're always adding in construction. We're adding larger spaces. We're adding beautiful windows. We're adding beautiful millwork. We're adding milled ceiling treatments. We're adding all of these hard elements. That's what we're drawn to architecturally. But to live with that, it's very cold. It's loud. Um, it's hard. They're all hard surfaces. So mm-hmm. it's funny in the design of those spaces on the architectural front, we're achieving what we want to aesthetically, but we're not really thinking about how does that feel right? Like, how does it feel on a cold January morning? How does it feel on a hot July day? And so I think that for me, window treatments are so important because they're, they are, they're great problem solvers. They can help with the echo factor. They can help soften the space. They can add that pattern. I don't Mm -hmm. use a lot of pattern on our upholstery, as you can tell. And so for me, the windows are a great opportunity. And for you know, if, if you want to balance your pattern, like I'm in my kitchen right now and I have a white indoor outdoor as my drapery panel because my children would use the drapes as a napkin, honestly. <laughs> um, so it's indoor outdoor so I can sponge it. And then I did a really fun trim on the leading edge. And then in the bay where I'm sitting, I have a great pattern Roman shade. Um, and so it's all about, again, I think that point of kind of balance of curated and edited, not being too matchy per se, um, but also not having it feel like so wild because I think life is wild. Um, yeah. <laughs> wild enough, right? Wild enough, indeed. Um, so yes, for me, I love, I love dressing windows. I don't think a room feels all the way finished until um, you've figured out the windows. Yeah, good point. I love it. You can also, t- again, it's something that like, you didn't know you needed sometimes, and then you like put up a window treatment, and you're like, oh, this is what <laughs> oh, this room yeah. is missing. Mm-hmm. How did you not come in, you know? <laughs> I, I laughed because I switched out the drapes in our living room recently, and um, and my boys came home from school, and they're like, whoa, mom. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? And I was di- and I was dying laughing because rarely, you know, they don't usually take notice um, that often. And it's a it's one of our patterns. It's Lillian. It's a white linen with a very neutral little um, like leaf pattern on it. And it's not very loud. And they were like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks, guys. I'm glad you like it. (laughs) It's so cute. Very, very funny. Okay. I have a question about taupe. Yes. And and you do it well. But there is also the whole myth and what uh, behind people just doing apartments in full shades of beige and it being a disgusting. Builder beige. Builder beige. So how do we make a gorgeous room with a nice taupey, linen-y color that makes us feel yummy and happy versus a builder grade beige? Yep. Um, well, it's so funny. Taupe is one of my favorite colors. I love taupe. I think it's an amazing neutral because it's warm, but it gets out of um, 
the beige category, right? Beige has just gotten such a bad rap over the years. And I think it's because first it was popular. You know, we saw that surge of it in the early 2000s and it was everywhere. And then I think the builders caught on and they it became builder beige. And for any of us who are old enough to remember the 80s, right? We had a bad bout of it then as well. Um, <laughs> and so it became a tough, you know, tough color um, to live with. But you know, that said, actually, my living room for the last 10 years has been man- been more Manchester tan, which is fundamentally a beige. Um, mm-hmm. I've paired it with a lot of more taupey colors. And I think the way to do it successfully, either taupe or tan or beige, whatever that neutral is, again, is pairing it with things that feel really fresh. So those really beautiful, like white linens, um, textures, if it is velvet or even a faux velvet or, um, you know, it, you know, in my case, I used a really beautiful um, indoor-outdoor kind of faux velvet. Um, again, spongibility is key for in my life. Um, but then pairing it with some crisp colors. So I've la- I love to layer. I'm a, I'm a really a blue person um, fundamentally, and I love green. So I think then layering in your color. So making sure mm-hmm. that if that's your medium tone, that you're, you've got something that's more fresh, that you've got something that's more dialed up. And then all of a sudden it has a place in the color spectrum, right? Rather than just being one note, now all of a sudden it's mm-hmm. part of the, it's part of that collection. It's part of that canvas rather than just feeling totally one note. I do think that you can also do rooms that are all neutral really successfully. And in that case, I think the key is absolutely your texture. It has to be a story about texture if you're staying that neutral. Um, We last year finished a a very, very large home and the homeowner wanted the entire thing in taupe. And I just thought, how am I going to make this interesting? Because it was, (laughs) you know, the spaces were so expansive and open sight lines and just room after room after room of taupe, all the same tone of taupe. And so I struggled with it. And I thought, we're just gonna have to make this a study of texture. So woven uh, wall treatments, embossed fabrics, um, a little bit of lacquer, a bit of linen, um, and just really made it about texture. So I think if you're staying in that tone, Mm -hmm. texture is really the key to make it successful and to make it interesting. Mm -hmm. That's smart. That is... I, I really like that tip about um, the different, I guess, um, values, mm-hmm. you know, having something in the middle, having something light and then having something dark, because I especially I, I feel like I see a lot uh, just on Pinterest of a white room and it's all white, but there's maybe there's a dark floor with a white rug on it, but there's no wood or black or, you know, it. You, but you have to have something dark and some you have to have something at every level yeah it's a good reminder ground it otherwise the room can really start to float away Mm -hmm. um and also i think looking at warm versus cool i think um you know, I love, I am drawn to like blues and greens, as I said, but I think that they really then need to be married with, even if it's just an accents with warm mm-hmm. notes, if that's an orange, a coral, a pink, um, you know, a yellow, whatever that is. But I think, and it could be as small as the books on the cocktail table, the vase that sits, you know, next to the lamp. It doesn't have to be a major element, but if you look at photos of rooms that are done successfully, And even if it's down to the photo, if it's pink peonies that are in that photograph and you break it down and you start analyzing what makes that room work, it 
it, it is that contrast of, um, of color or of mm-hmm. warm to cool, I think that really makes a big difference. So mm-hmm. that's something that's easy to keep in mind. Okay, so this is from Rebecca, and she writes and says, she has a lot of great photos too. So she writes, hello, ladies. I've enjoyed listening to your podcast for a couple years, and I'm excited to finally have a design dilemma worth worthy of sending, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, funny. My husband's parents are building an L-shaped three-season porch on their cabin in Middle Tennessee. As their children marry and grow their own families, they wanted a larger space for everyone to comfortably gather for a meal and for friends of their teenagers to come play games, string up hammocks for spending the night, and converse around a fire. They also host a Bible study group occasionally. They plan to add screens to all around and maybe benches on the perimeter. The existing window in the kitchen will become a pass-through. My questions are about the placement of the fireplace and the general layout of furniture in the space. All right, one, fireplace. They originally planned to build a stone pizza oven fireplace on the far right side as you walk into the space from the existing porch. This spring, they have enjoyed temporarily placing a table on that area of the L, eating breakfast while being immersed in sunshine and woods, which sounds amazing right now. Mm-hmm, yeah. Now they're considering building the fireplace on the same wall, but closer to the entrance of the porch. I'm concerned this would congest the entrance to the porch and make it hard to arrange furniture around the fire. Where would you recommend building the fireplace? The porch is on a slope with the current fireplace wall on high ground. I think distance mm-hmm. to the ground is a factor in fireplace construction. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's right. <laughs> yeah. Layout. What recommendations do you have for furniture layout? It would be great to accommodate large groups as well as just a couple people who wanted a quiet corner. Flexibility is important. Three, yeah. extra entrance. Finally, they <laughs> finally they originally planned to cut out another entrance from the other side of the house where you can currently just see black paper on the exterior wall. I'm wondering if this is necessary and if it would, again, make furniture arrangement and flow of traffic difficult. Thanks for your help, Rebecca. And she has a whole floor plan. I love Rebecca's thoroughness. Yeah. All right. It sounds complicated, but it's not. So I'm going to describe what Rebecca's got on her hands, which is a a lovely dilemma. So (laughs) it's a house that is almost square. Let's just say it's a rectangle to make it easy for everybody to understand. A, A rectangular house. And on the short end, there's already a porch that goes end to end on the front of that house. They're talking about adding a porch all down the long side of the house um, to where the already the, the front porch stops. So from the back of the house all the way to the front of the existing porch and then actually making that more of an L so it goes out even further away from the house at the front of the house. So imagine you have, I, it looks like it's a eight foot porch off the front of the house. So um, they're gonna, that L that would go out is 16 feet. So they've got uh, eight foot porch running the length. Then when they wanna put an 11 foot porch all the way down the side and then sort of a bump out that's 16 by 13. So it makes an L off the house. And the, the fireplace she's talking about is in that L shape. So when you walk out the front door and you look all the way to the left in the corner, they were thinking about putting the fireplace there at that wall. And then her 
the possible additional entrance that she's talking about would be in the back of the house. So if you exited the front door, took a left, walked all the way down the side of the house, there'd be another entrance into the house in the back of that porch. So she wants to know about the fireplace, furniture arrangement, and do they need another entrance? Right? Yep. Okay. Yep. So um, I looked over her question and uh, she mentioned that they have a table in the new L area that they really enjoyed. Um, And looking at it, I thought she mentioned that the sunlight with that exposure is very nice. If they were to move that table or the eating area to the top of the L, she, they would be getting this exact same exposure from uh, those two sides. And they could take advantage of that more narrow space. A lot of the exterior tables are actually more narrow than we see indoor tables. And so that could be a way that they could make use of that space. They're not sacrificing the exposure or the light that they're getting in the lower portion of the L. And then it would alleviate the strain that I think Rebecca is concerned about with the additional entrance because having that be a serving area, now you would have a piece of furniture that you're used to walking around um, and is a little bit more of a destination. So it helps fill out that space. So I think that would be a great thing to do. I also thought about what she was talking about with the flexibility. And one trick could be putting together two square tables to make a larger rectangle. And then based on how they wanted to use that, she said, if they're teens visiting or things like that, they could always separate those tables and pull them Mm -hmm. apart so that they could have a little bit more distance if somebody wanted to be doing work at one or if they were having um, playing cards or something like that. It just buys them a little bit more flexibility and square outdoor tables are always much I think very easy to find. Mm -hmm. So I thought that could be one thing to do in terms of the flexibility and the fireplace option. I agree with her that the option two of moving it closer to the existing porch is not a great idea. I don't think that it gives you a nice opportunity to be able and enjoy the fireplace. I think that the first option could work now that we've come up with a solution for where their dining space would be. I also think the wall that runs the back wall um, of that area, which is a little bit longer, um, that's a 13-foot wall, that that could also be another wall. She mentioned the fact that the ground is raised and and the structure that she is describing in the photos that she's provided actually has already a roof on it. So if the roof is staying and they're adding a fireplace, they're already getting into a bit of, you know, they're already going to be getting into structural construction here that I think it makes sense to really maximize um maximize what we're trying to accomplish with that. And from the images that she also sent, it appears as if, and I could be wrong, that the view is a little nicer out the backside. So if you wanted to have the fireplace and you wanted to have seating around that, trying to maximize that view, um, Mm -hmm. I think would also be really, really nice. And that then creates a very nice space that you could add in seating. It could be two sofas and a floating chair to fill out that area. Um, And then I would augment all of that by doing two sets of chairs on the existing porch with a little table in between each. That becomes that little quiet nook for the person who wants to be by themselves, but it also becomes auxiliary seating that can then be pulled into the bigger Mm -hmm. conversation area when you have a lot of people. So I think 
making sure that you have a lot of pieces that can be functional. So maybe it is two sofas that ground that area, but then a lot of the um, floating single chairs. I personally have the Ballard Susan Kassler X, um, X chairs on my patio and I love them because they're really flexible. They're easy to move around and they're so comfortable too. And light. They're very lightweight. You know, easy they're to drive very, Yeah. They're deceivingly light. Um, with social distancing, I've actually set them up in a huge circle so <laughs> that uh, some moms and I could safely visit. Um, and it was very funny. We were in such a large circle that I, I said it was a good thing that, um, we didn't have any secrets that we were sharing because the entire neighborhood would hear because <laughs> we, were, we were so far apart. But I love those chairs. And I think a chair like that would be the perfect piece. It's easy to pick up. It's easy to move over. Um, it has style. It's classic. I think it would look great in this environment. So mm-hmm. that's the situation. The fireplace, based on the exposure that she's showing, she's they're going to be building a foundation for this fireplace one way or another. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, then I think she should really think a little bit more strategically and work on the, the view. Yeah. And, you know, well. um, I just, oh, my mind went blank, but I feel like it's coming back. No. Um, <laughs> the, she asked about building a bench and around the edge. And I do not like those. I feel like they're uncomfortable. Like nobody wants to sit on them. It makes the flow of the space, awful. Don't build a bench in. Well, the other, <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. The other thing is the idea of a bench around a screen, um, a screen, t- not a great idea. Um, no. People can't lean against it. All of a sudden, right. now you're sitting on a wood bench, just kind of sitting forward because you're afraid to push the screen out of the back. And then if you, you really should, and I don't even know, based on code, you might then need um, to have additional screen names. I think skip the bench, use some beautiful furniture. Mm -hmm. Again, it's going to soften it, right? We want to try and though, I think this whole story wants to be about bringing the indoors outside. So I love that idea of the furniture um, pieces that have some nice patina to it. The exposed log wall, they're so beautiful. Um, And I think think your suggestion of moving the table to the, to the long narrow space makes so much sense because um, it would be, first of all, it would be a dead space. If you put seating back there, nobody's going to go back there. It's going to feel sort of alienated. But if you make it a destination for dining, then people will go back there. And then you're reserving this very generous space for all your deep seat where you can have, you know, two to three seating areas. So yeah, that's so smart. What if she got some just like kind of schoolhouse benches and put them under the windows that go into the regular house? And that way she could have some benches, but they're movable. And so you would never put them up against the, um, you know, up against the screen, but then she could pull them over to pull them up to the table if mm-hmm. she has tons of people or, you know, just have she them could kind of do that. She could do that. Um, I mean, she could also, if, if she wanted to, based on that, she could also do one side of the dining table could be a bench and the other side could be chairs, mm-hmm. depending mm-hmm. on um, how comfortable bench seating is. Um, I think that in terms of that flexibility, again, I love the idea of benches, but if it was something even smaller, um, more like stools that give her, that are easier yeah. for people yeah. to pick up, the fewer, the easier that it is for people to pick up something and move it where they want to put it, I think the better. Um, and thinking strategically, stools, 
like, I mean, I, we use garden stools all the time and I always end up sitting on the garden stool at somebody's house because it's a table, it's another seat, it's a place to put, um, kick up your feet. So I think that there are a a few different ways that she could get that, um, Mm -hmm. that feeling, Mm -hmm. or it could be, um, you know, if you think about it, you could have fun finding some kind of bench and turning that into your cocktail table. And then when you break up that conversation area, if you're having a larger event, then those become your benches. Um, mm-hmm. have some fun. And she can define <laughs> the different areas with a couple outdoor rugs, two or three. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think the layering of texture in there will be key. Definitely. It's really, I'm jealous of that space. It looks yeah. like where I want to move this all. Yeah, it looks amazing. Well, I hope that um, we answered your question, Rebecca. We're excited. Send us some after photos. We want to see see how it turns out. Marika, Marika, will you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your work? Yes. All that stuff. Yes. So our interiors um, website is MeyerInteriors.com and our textile site that has our fabrics and rugs is MarikaMeyerTextiles.com. We're at Marika Meyer Inc. on Instagram and at Marika Meyer Textiles on Instagram as well. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful yes. stuff. I love oh. having you. I was showing your site to our president this morning. He's like, oh, this is really beautiful. Oh, <laughs> well, we have a lot of fun with what we do. I think um, if you enjoy what you're doing, then um, it really shows through. So you're right. Thank you guys. Yes. And I'm yeah. a huge Ballard fan. My husband is laughing. My Mother's Day present were Ballard sheets. Um, ah. I've, oh, yeah. I've got sleep on the Ballard sheets. I love our sheets. Oh, my plates are Ballard. My silverware is Ballard. I've got, I'm a Ballard queen. So <laughs> you know what? And, and we had talked about um, talking about like retail items and custom yeah. stuff. And we didn't even get there because we had so many other things to chat about, but we'll have to have you back and we'll, we'll, we'll cover that next time. I was gonna say, next time we can, we can talk about all those tips. Um, yes. This is so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I feel like um, it's a lot for me now to think about too. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's our show. Thank you for listening. You can leave us a review in your podcast app. We would love to read it. And don't forget to send your questions to podcast ballardsigns.net. I will add um, links to everything we've talked about in the show notes, which are at howtodecorate.com slash podcast. Don't forget to enable the How to Decorate skill in your Amazon account so you can listen to us from your Alexa. Follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. And until next time, happy happy decorating. decorating.